Hello and welcome to Tell the Tale Stories, the podcast that explores the joys and challenges of being creative so that you can more easily tell your own damn story. Alex Simmons. Yes, How yes, are yes, you, yes, ladies yes, and gentlemen? It's the legendary Alex Simmons. Yes, I, I am a legend in my own mind. Thank you very much, Chris. And it's yes. always great to be here once again with Mr. Christopher Ryan. <sighs> Yay! And we are here. It's a it's a very special episode. It's yeah, a very I, special episode very special. of Tell I the Damn we're Story. Special. Yes, it's yes. a landmark episode. It's yes. what you would call an anniversary episode if we knew how to celebrate anniversary <laughs> episodes, which was actually last episode. It was our 250th episode. That's right. So 250. Damn, we yeah. want to celebrate the 251st. That's right. Because how can we're we still celebrate going. celebrate that properly? Well, there's only one way. We have to bring the MC of the show, the owner of the show, the person who does tell the damn story, according to the reading public. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the alleged co-founder or founder of Tell the Damn Story, the man who knows how to tell the damn story, the legendary, multi-talented person Gaines. <laughs> What's up, boss? How much time do we have? <laughs> Kasim, 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 Gaines, 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 Gaines. Happy Gaines. 251st episode, Kasim. You've been doing a great job. Let me tell you, this, this show doesn't feel a day over 250. You know? Yeah, well, that's good, because I feel it. How are you, Kasim? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, well, we got to, because, you know, it's like this is like watching the sun come home, you know? It keeps coming back to the farm to tell us how the world is out there. Well, how, you know, how, how is, is the world out there? How's it been for you? Podcast. <laughs> uh, the world's been pretty good, I think. I'm trying to remember in the story which one is the son that it's the uh, the prodigal son, right? That comes back. Well, home. there's that one too. I was uh, the, the one that the, goes the off the war. There's like there's that. the one who runs away. That you know, depends hero. on which story we're telling, right? Oh, okay, got it. So we're we're telling I, all the damn stories. I think this is the reconquering hero today, <laughs> because uh, one of the things besides celebrating the landmark 251st episode of Cassine Gaines to tell the damn story. We are also here to celebrate and to talk with the one and only Cassine Gaines about when Broadway was black. And we'll talk about that in a little while. Fascinating story. Uh, and we kind of got the the first round earlier in his episodes. And uh, now we're going to find the exciting and dynamic uh, new life that has been breathed in there. And but if some uh, of you don't know what we're talking about, go back and check some of the early episodes where we did interview Kasim at several junctions along the road to this, this particular uh, journey, novel yeah. of his, a uh, nonfiction novel, uh, which yeah. has been really well received. But yeah, we're we're Wait, we're here now to talk about do, where it where it is now. What's going on? Do you on want now? to um do you want to warm him up with uh We'll throw a couple of questions from our old format that what used to be our new format that seems to be fading away format. Uh, well, you know, that's the that's the pleasure of having it be our show. We get to do right. whatever the or, heck we or want. Cassines, <laughs> or Cassines. Or Cassines. Yeah, well, Cassines right, visiting. So, so yeah. Um, we used to talk, Alex and I, we used to talk about challenges of the week, writing challenges of the week. But instead, let's victimize Cassine. <laughs> hey, Cassine. What have been your 
creative challenges this week. Could be from any front because you are a multi-talented legend. Well, um, the challenge of the week for me, honestly, I think is uh, finding time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think it's finding time. It's not finding um, will or even want. It's just, you know, having the, the moment to do it. And so um, I... I tinker around with different ideas and projects. And sometimes I don't know that they aren't going to come to term until I've written enough and realized like I, I don't have enough for a full yeah. project, or maybe it's, maybe I try and do a, an article for someone somewhere or something like that. So just trying to, um, in my exploratory phase, wanting to get some things out on the page just for myself and just finding that I just don't have that just didn't have the time this week to dedicate mm. and i think the the worst part was and this is life right is i thought i was going to have some time and then some last minute things came up and intervened and you know the the writing fell by the wayside for this week so um i i often joke that uh, a good antidote for writer's block is having a, a deadline but yeah. when you don't have a deadline and you're just sort of working for yourself at the moment, it's easy to sort of put it on the back burner. And that ended up happening to me this week. Ah, yeah, so wow. time, time, okay. education. Yeah. Um, what'd you find creatively inspiring this week? Cousin Gaines. Ooh, okay. So what I found creatively inspiring, um, I'm going to go in two different ways, if, if I can, you know, Chris. Absolutely. So, Approach it um, any way you would like. One is on the writing front, um, looking at different ways to tell a story that may be has been told before mm -hmm. so that that is sort of exciting like looking at it from a different perspective or um so that's that was that's always exciting for me but then also um you know i direct the play at the high school that i teach at and um this year unusually we the kids were off book earlier than usual. I mean, sometimes they're off book, you know, the day after the show closes. Um, but they were off, <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm mostly talking about when I was in high school. Um, but, um, <laughs> but the kids were, had been off book for maybe a month. Um, you know, the show was blocked, the music taught, the choreography. And so we've spent now time in rehearsals, finding ways to punch up, you know, this scene and make it funnier or make it more true or make it more mm -hmm. emotionally resonant. And we just don't always have the luxury of that time. And so um, it's been really great this time to be able to fine tune instead of feeling like the goal is just getting to the finish line. Right, um, right. So that, that has been exciting too, especially because you even see, because they have the time too, some of the kids going, Oh wait, I, I was thinking about this. What about can we try this? And we have the time to try it now. So it's it's been kind of more collaborative in that regard and kind of exciting. That's pretty it's cool. cool. And but it's you know, a good it, way to keep it fresh. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I feel like just for the sake of, of the camaraderie here, that Chris. Yes, sir. What was what was your creative challenge this week? Yeah, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually went back to an old standby to uh get my finally get my 
plethora of ideas organized. And it, it finished up this morning around 4 a.m. Um, I've been contracted to write a Western. And uh, I have really a lot of fun ideas. Um, it's 10,000 words. So it's like, you know, I guess, does that barely, it's either a long short story or a short novella. I don't know. Novelita or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> a little restaurant so, downtown <laughs> Waco, Texas, right? <laughs> so I researched, um, it has to take place somewhere between 1866 and 1899. And I researched trains at the time uh, using a lot of books and got what I needed from that just to, you know, authenticity and the characters are fine and all that. And I went to the tropes of Westerns and all, there was seven tropes from Westerns that they always look for. And I got to incorporate all seven through my ideas. And then I had the, you know, the protagonists and I had, uh, and I finally, I had to say, okay, I, I need it straightened out. So I went through uh, Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey, which I'm, you may have seen me teach a couple of times, Kassane, and then my old standby cards. and I, Index cards, right? Index cards, which I always use to plan out, uh, like just ideas. But this time I used it to force all those ideas into a loose approximation of the Hero's Journey. And I got to finish that this morning. What I will do this afternoon is use the microphone again to dictate all the steps in to the existing draft and all, all the other additional ideas and scenes that I have. So it'll all be in one draft. I'll see where we are in the word count. And then that'll serve as finished draft. And then I'll start polishing and I'll have about five or six weeks to polish. So uh, it was, you know, that was my, creative thing uh, uh this week both the challenge and uh the joy uh, so yes it all all go. that training worked there you go there you go so left me out in the wilderness there right yeah all right what, what's your deal alex what'd you do uh, what's up what's your creative challenge uh, what's your well, creative love what, happened? What, what 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 why you gotta ask that why you gotta okay so um <laughs> that's how we make the big books for me <laughs> yeah right i got a printing press here no um so one of the things that I'm dealing with is uh, rebranding, uh, which is actually going to kind of tie in a little bit to <laughs> Kasim's uh, adventure Gaines, yeah. there. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, um, because I I have I, I and I've mentioned this a number of times. And I'll try and be succinct. I, I I suffered for years from the Lone Ranger syndrome uh, that I would you know ride into town, do my good deed, work for for almost peanuts or no money at all, and then ride out of town, hearing vaguely, "Thank you, mass stranger." Right. Uh, and my bank account was dried up like crazy. And so talking about myself, talking about the things I've done, like when you introduced me with all that grandeur, you know, it's always made me feel a little uncomfortable. Well, it's not very practical in a business way. Right. You know, so and I I'm started only talking about 10 percent. So I started looking at all the things that I've done. And, you know, first <laughs> first thing, damn, I did all that. So That's so right. it was that reaction. And then it was how to, you know, practically or in a practical fashion, really begin to um, line that up so that it's a professional presentation on my website and so forth and so on. So I am doing uh, developing my brand voice, you know, cool. so that nice. my personality nice. comes through, but also the information is there. And so that I can start to look at myself 
uh, more authentically and mm-hmm. without without guilt, shame, or anything else, uh, as as a practicing professional artist, full blown, who has done a ton of things and wants to do many, many, many more and get paid better for it. So are that you, requires. Uh, are you using? Uh, are you using everything? Uh, <laughs> everything. I don't know if I'm going to use everything, but well, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm chronically interested in the pictures from the burlesque days. Uh, well, yeah, I, I'm using two of those, especially with the fishnets, you know, with the fishnet stockings. But um, Alex Simmons is <laughs> I'm chronicling things or I'm I'm reducing things to, you know, like multiple sentences down to one or two or one lines or things like that. So the writing is is very succinct, um, identifying the, the the properties and projects and things in an order that, uh, you know, sort of elevates goes from, you know, earliest to. Uh, how many of those do you use? Just really trying to get very clear about what I do, what I stand for, what I believe in, you know, and and how I project uh, my path uh, for the future. And the, so that was that's that been a lot of is, work. The secret of that is rewriting, you know, getting all that long list and then, all right, how do I condense? How do I phrase? How to, and, and I mean, how much work have you had to do to get it to where you want it to be? Or are you well, still in the process? Well, A, yes, a lot of work, including I was up until 2 a.m. this morning. So, it's, there you, go. you know, but the other thing, too, is um, and I, I'm again, that's another thing I'm interested in talking to Kasim about is recognizing what you really have done. And and embracing that without feeling like, oh, am I stroking my ego? No, well, you're acknowledging fact. And I that's go for that's, it. That's a yeah, but that's it's you know, depending on a person's nature, you know, it's like money is the root of all evil. No, how you use money can be evil. Money in and of itself is inert. But what I meant by go for it is we should. Oh, no, no, I wasn't responding to your comment, but I was I'm talking about my own inner voices. You know, the 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 the, like what do they call it? The imposter syndrome. You know, there's that thing of Oh, well, no, you can't be saying that because then people think you're full of yourself. No, I'm not full of myself. I am just chronicling what I have actually done so that that can be clear so that I can continue to do that. Right. You know, if I if I state things properly, uh, not only can I benefit from it, but I can continue to serve others even better. So that's that's really where I am. And I, I don't want to turn this whole thing into a big discussion about that, but that's really what my week has been about, well, both creative, creatively and you know, from a, a a fun and inspirational way, it's kind of fun to notice. Like, damn, I really did do that. Well, wow, that's pretty cool. You know. Well, let's let's start with both of you. I mean, I'll just say that I'm still trying to do that. It's the hardest thing in the world to go from uh, maybe your Christian upbringing or whatever to oh, I've you know, I have to be businesslike about this and sell what I am or sell what I, you know, when I do. do. Yeah. So how do you go? What has been useful? Uh, Alex and then Cassine, and we'll stay with Cassine for the, the other questions. Uh, what has been useful and get going from the, I, I prefer not to brag about myself to, all right, wait a second. This is a business. <laughs> yeah. Well, business. Cause that's talking business. I mean, aspiring uh, writers all go through this, right. Or uh, creatives. So, what did you find ha- helpful, Alex? And then the same question, Custing. Well, you know, and again, it's it's a mind game. It's it's almost like doing reps in a gym. 
I had to actually pull out and look at my resume. And, you know, from, and, and the mindset is, okay, read it once and go, oh God, well, yeah, well, yeah, all right. Read it again. And now it's it's more, okay, it's information. And read it a third time. Okay, so this is specific. Wait a minute, something's missing here. Didn't I? And so suddenly you go from sort of almost like a, a customer reacting to a property to suddenly you're more the editor now. So you're you're now dialed into this as a piece of work. And in looking at it as a piece of work, almost almost objectively, you start to realize, well, this is incorrect because it was this. And then, oh, yeah, and I did such and such and I did that. Oh, this is really old. I don't really need to talk about that anymore. And you start fine tuning, like you were saying, rewrites, you start fine tuning the information. And after you come out of the editorial mode and you look at it, you go, OK, yeah, that's more accurate. Then it's almost like you're on a break and you go, damn, I did do a lot here. Okay, so now I need to, and you go back into it again, and again, more of the editorial or business mindset. So it's almost like you've removed the emotional connection from it, or you've dimmed that down to where you can look at it as data, you know, statistical information, looking at it for accuracy, looking at it to, you're telling the story right and authentically, you're not BSing, you're not lying you know, because that's the other imposter syndrome thought that comes up. Oh, man, they're going to think I could. No, wait a minute. You're not trying to con them into thinking you can do something. This is what you've already done. Oh, OK, mm -hmm. right. So that's the that's the mind trick almost to become business like in an area that you've been up until a certain part of your life dealing with from an emotional. Oh, my, I, I'm embarrassed kind of position or I, 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 I was lucky that time. So it'll probably never work out again or I'll never get that chance again. Right. Well, if you look at 5, 10, 12 years, 15 years of doing that thing again and again and again for different people, then it's like no longer luck. Maybe right. you can say, oh, I did it better the fifth and sixth and seventh time than the first, second and third. Right. But it's still no longer luck because you're realizing, like Kasim, how many books has he written that's gone out into the public, you know, uh, yeah. theater and been well received? He can't but, say anymore. Oh, I got lucky with that. Right. <laughs> you know, there's well, a craftsmanship to it. I remember when he was first taking those first tentative steps into what was his first book, which was Inside Pee Wee Herman, uh, uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse. Thank um, you. That just sounded yeah, wrong. I, that, I had to get the title right. But, yeah. he, you know, I mean, I remember a conversation, can I even do this? And now, I mean, the difference in the the, the level of professionalism and the, uh, the ability to do it and do it well as far as self-promotion and getting himself out there uh you know well we, we got the, we got the man right so here what was how it did like? you yeah how did you make that journey what worked for you and that's for kasim yes definitely i yes, mean i um i i think it, it is it's evolved over time i mean honestly I'm, I'm doing i'm doing a lot of silent reflecting as as you both are talking and i'm thinking um i don't even know if, if i'm aware of how long it's been since I've had books out in the the public space. I mean, the the Pee Wee's Playhouse book came out in 2011, which is um, kind of crazy to say. I mean, in some ways, it's 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 like me and teaching. You know, like I go, I still feel like the new kid on the block sometimes, and I go, like my goodness, I've been there. I'm I'm approaching 
two decades. I mean, that doesn't even seem possible. Um, but I think um, it's been interesting specifically with when Broadway was Black in regards to this question, because I I feel so strongly about this book just being read and seen and spoken about. Um, I, I feel very truly that like, I don't care if someone checks it out from a library. I don't care if someone it, reads a copy that, you know, has been passed around to three different people. You know, it's it's not about going out and buying it. Um, it's about trying to keep the lives of the people at the center of this story um, in the public conversation or reintroducing them into the public conversation. Um, and so for me with this project in particular, I it, it has helped to sort of create some, I think, distance for myself that like when I'm talking about the book or when I'm posting about the book um, or I'm celebrating that, you know, this particular media outlet or that one has, has said something about the book, I really am just trying to refocus the attention on the musical shuffle along that's at the center of the book and the the, the characters, the real people that, um, which I, I think has been sort of helpful and instructive and maybe also points to the way that I've approached, you know, quote unquote, promotion of this paperback version versus the hardcover version. Um, not to say that, like, you know, my intention was ever diff different, but I think after the hardcover came out and was really well received, but just didn't find the audience that we thought it would find in terms of, like, actual readers, um, realizing if my objective was to share their story and we're not getting in front of people to do that in the in the in the, the right way then perhaps we have to try something else um to to make that happen so um yeah but i i guess in terms of self promotion too i have always sort of been a believer well you know it's easy to say because like i didn't when i when i started i didn't have anything you know what i mean that is yeah. <laughs> like i didn't right. i i never written anything before i was in my 20s I was writing a book about, you know, Pee Wee Herman, which, you know, isn't, um, I don't think I was submitted for the Pulitzer Prize, you know, um, <laughs> for, for that. And so really all I had, I felt going back, you know, 13 or whatever years ago was me. And right. I started a social media um, page that was separate from my personal page. And it was me talking a little bit about the book and the writing process, but I also really was deliberate about posting a lot about um, things that I like, things that I like that were pop culture centric, things that I like mm. that were like sort of um, adjacent to the things that I wrote, was writing about and then ended up would write about. Um, and whether it's doing uh, public appearances or whatever, I just believe that, um, people will check out your work if they are interested in you. Mm -hmm. And so um, I've always been very mindful that like, you might not have a budget for promotion. You might not have a bunch of credits. You might not have awards. You might not have, 
you know, the biggest publisher in the world, but what you have is your personality and it, the more you can get in front of people right. and, and do that, um, that's, that's priceless, you know, and that's, that's still kind of something that I try and carry through. So focusing on that for a minute, let me ask, because now much of social media is pay for play, you know? So how do you keep yourself in front of potential customers? Uh, even, I mean, yes, the content is you, you, you present yourself, but we all know that um, whether it's Facebook or Instagram, even Twitter now, um, it's def- definitely more manipulated than when you first started or when we were, you know, uh, first making those steps into using social media to promote. So how do you handle that today? Can, can I just do one quick thing for the sake of the audience, especially anybody who's never listened to us before, you fools, you fools. Um what was the title of the book originally? Oh, yeah. So I'll, I'll look. So the book, When Broadway Was Black, was originally titled Footnotes. Right. And um, part of what, so the, the full title was Footnotes, The Black Artist Who Rewrote the Rules of the Great White Way. Um, and what we sort of realized belatedly was that unless it, it required a little bit of uh, an education for you to, get your your head around that title. Um, it's not something that when you are scrolling through on a, a you know online, you see it and you immediately go, oh, I get what that is. Mm-hmm. Maybe you have to read the back cover, maybe you have to whatever. And and you know, um, Chris, I know that we've talked about this you know offline about um, you know, just titling and, and and covers and things like that. But the whole thing that they were sort of saying is now Fewer and fewer people are looking in brick and mortar stores and looking at a spine, pulling it out, reading the back cover, and then making a decision. People are just scrolling. And did something catch your eye or not? That's mm-hmm. that's it. You know, you've got you've got a second, if even that, before someone decides whether or not to stop, you know, their finger. And so we the thing with with footnotes was always that people who read it really enjoyed it um but we we had trouble turning that over into the everyday person and it's it's been really uh trippy i think it's kind of maybe the word but like it's been really odd to watch what not it's not exactly the same book but what's you know 95 percent the same exact book getting uh noticed by completely different people mm. By virtue of whether it's the title or the cover, like it, it's just it's really bizarre to me. Um, Perception. I don't, it's it's really weird, and it really like you know we all know that it's complete you know um, a, a complete lie to say don't judge a book by its cover. But I mean, if you want proof that people judge a book by its cover or by its title, um, <laughs> my goodness, this, this is a, a great case study. Um, well, I'd like to follow that up with if if we look right over your shoulder, we can see the cover, but. Out of the four words of the title, you can only read two from where. And if I'm and I'm thinking, if I'm scrolling, say on one of the uh, whether it's Barnes and Noble or you know local bookstore ordering or even Amazon, um, <laughs> I don't want to get any the comments. Why are you promoting Amazon? It is what it is, right? It's got a majority of the market. What are you going to do? 
But the two words that stick out are Broadway and Black. And it's only upon the uh, closer scrutiny you'll see when Broadway was black, which kind of echoes the initial uh, uh, message of Broadway black. Mm-hmm. Um, whose idea was it to size the words the way that uh, that wound up? And um, has that been part of the success? I definitely think it's been part of the success. And um I I take no credit for it. This, <laughs> you know, what what ended up happening with this book um and you know i always i always give the the real deal to to tell the damn story and of course you listeners do. because um because i know that everyone who's listening you know they're either like you know quote unquote real readers or they are aspiring writers so you know i, I want to be honest and truthful here um what ended up happening with this book was once footnotes had had sort of i'll say run its course you know the promotion had had died down and things start to taper off um the plan was always to released the book in paperback and my publisher came to me and said look the reality is um you you've kind of got two choices um we're not sure because we still have a, a, an ample number of the hardcover printed we're not sure if it's viable to release it in paperback um as is or if we're going to make a, a play in paperback we really want to retitle it and then, um, so to me, the decision was sort of easy. I mean, like, you know, if I'm, if you're willing to reinvest in this project, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to go along for the ride. Um, but then it very much so became, um, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to misrepresent it, but I also don't want to misrepresent it. Um, it, it became a sort of decision by committee, you know, um, because the first thing didn't work. And so it would no longer was, well, give us a new title. Then it was a whole lot of people had a whole lot of opinions on, <laughs> on what, what to do. Yeah. Um, and, and I think if, if my memory is correct, I think my editor came up with this title and initially I, I resisted it and I, I offered my goodness, there's, <laughs> probably a hundred different titles and some of it some of it was variations on this i remember at one point we had settled on when broadway was black and then like after months i came back and i was like how about when broadway became black and they kicked it around and they were like oh no no i said how how broadway became black that's what i said and they they kicked it around they were like it's too long and i was like too long it's the same four words and they were like no no no. when was snappy snappy let's just get there you know and um and so they uh i think they tested it i think they you know i don't know how they did that but i think they tested it i think they did and there were a couple different titles and a couple different jackets that they tested and um my fear to be honest with you was that i don't know if you can create art that way i mean i'm just being really transparent you know i was kind of like my fear was you can't show a bunch of people three paintings and say vote for the best and then say that's the best painting you know that's not that's not that doesn't make it the best necessarily it's just um but what ultimately did it for me there were lots of titles i mean i'm sorry lots of jackets that they came back with and i wasn't really in love with any of them some of them i was willing to sort of live with um and it was my agent actually who said look you're 
I hope you realize what a, a gift this is that you're getting a, another bite at the apple. Right. You know, this, that doesn't that doesn't happen. But if we're going to take this other bite of the apple, then we really have to take it the right way. You know, we then it, it then it it behooves us. Like there's one school of thought that says, you're giving me another bite at the apple. Thank you so much. Whatever you want to do. Right. Or the other school of thought is if we're going to do this, let's make sure that we're all on the same page and we're all happy with it before we pull the trigger. And um, my agent ultimately was the one that said, you know, you've got to go back to the drawing board with these jackets and and come up with something else. And they said, OK, we got on a, a big meeting. Again, it was a committee situation. We got on a big meeting. They said, you know, what would you like to see? And I sort of talked through a little bit of a wish list of things. Um not all, I just want to be clear, not all of my wish list manifested in this final jacket. Okay. But um, they said, give us, give us a little bit. And about a month later, they came back with exactly this jacket. And we said, no notes, we're great. That's beautiful. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So wow. I, I don't know what I don't know what the process was like in that month. I don't know what, what was said in that meeting that triggered what, but we, wow. we had they brought in a specialist yes well, <laughs> they brought have, in a graphic designing specialist yes yeah but you have double alliteration right you have the balance of the title you have the two stress words that get bigger and bigger and then the rest of the design the that black and white design with just a little splash of color in the bottom um i mean alex and i would go way back to our childhood and said well you know black with a little splash of red and hmm the shadow, you know, <laughs> we've, we've loved that combination since we were wee lads. So it does work. And there is a, 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 a dynamic quality to it, you know. Um, so then you get the cover and you get a paperback. And I'm, I'm always a bigger fan of paperbacks than hardcovers. So pretty exciting. And you did do some rewriting and did some add on. But now you got to get out. And the difference here is there's no COVID holding you back. Yeah. Okay. Was, so yeah. how was that to be able to get actually get out there? Well, that was great. And um I I knew that I had missed it, but I didn't realize how much I had missed it. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't think there's a substitute for being in a room with actual people talking about and, and I'll say I would take being in a, a room at a library or a bookstore with five people showing up, I'd take mm -hmm. that over 50 people in a Zoom. You know, mm -hmm. um, I just I just think there's there's such a um such a difference in energy. And also, frankly, someone who is leaving their house because they want to see you or hear about your topic or even just have a passing curiosity. Maybe they maybe they're uh, uh, someone that frequents that local bookstore and they just trust that bookstore and who they bring in and they don't know about you or your book, but they're, they're just riding with the bookstore or the library or whatever. There's, I think there's just something different about that person than um, someone who's got a, a free Thursday night and is willing to tap into a zoom while they're making dinner and watching the kids and what, yeah, I don't know. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to be disparaging to anyone, but I'm just saying, I think there's a different level of focus and buy-in. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're, um, they're, they're, they really have developed into different tools. Yeah. 
And one of the things that I saw that I really loved, and and for some reason I was in the twilight zone, um, where I would see it after the fact each time, and I I just wasn't on social media enough or the right social media to see the announcements. This is going to happen. I just got to the past tense. But you did a lot of um, appearances that wound up being like a one-on-one interview at Barnes and Noble or a few other places. That's a different skill set. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, I I really am. Um, being in conversation, quote unquote, in conversation with someone is interesting. Um, I do love it, and I also it's a little it's a little scary because you never know what someone's gonna where the conversation is gonna go, right? You know, like uh-huh. you're. Um, I think we were we were talking earlier on about this. It's a business. You're you're there mm-hmm. to sell books, you know, but you're also kind of. Uh, at the mercy of whoever you're speaking with. And, um, but what I like about it is the person that you're speaking with always gets to be kind of a proxy for the audience. Right. Um, it was fascinating having the opportunity to go back into the hardcover and make edits for the paperback. And in some cases, the edits were quite substantial. And I would say almost all of the edits that I made were the result of doing events and having conversations about the hardcover. You know, like I was able to see what was of interest to people and um, and focus on on those sorts of things. Or in some cases, um, in fact, I had a, a review in um, the Washington Post that sort of said, um, you know, at one point, like, uh, you know, Gaines gave, uh, you know, Kind of just in one sentence, tried to sum up, um, you know, this three-year history of, of Broadway history, and and ignored this other seminal musical that was that happened in that three-year period. So I, I considered that, and I looked, and I said, okay, well, is that is that sort of valid? And what I found, in fairness, I actually was unaware of the musical that right. the person sort of checked. But when I checked and looked into it. The music. It had a fine run in Delaware. No, a, <laughs> it, was, it was fair, but it was, but it was also one of those things where actually, in looking at it, there were some very interesting differences between the musical that that reviewer had pointed out and what I was talking about in the book. Like, the, it didn't totally apply in the right, same way. Right. But because the musical was somewhat significant at the time, I actually just in like a paragraph, not a big thing, but Mm -hmm. I did mention that this other show was a hit. However, it wasn't an all black cast. It was a mixed race cast. It was, a you know, and in some ways, maybe a mixed race cast, you know, is a sign of progress. But also when you had, you know, that's an Oscar Mijot moment there. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was an interesting sort of thing to consider and for someone who missed or, you know, didn't read or didn't remember, you know, who isn't, who doesn't live with that, that particular review, like I live with it. Um, the the person who reads that for the first time, I think will get a little bit of a richer reading experience, even if it's just three sentences being added right. in right. the book. So um, anyway, I, I somehow have lost track of what the original question was. I'm we t- were talking about <laughs> get, uh, getting out there. And oh, perhaps yes. just for, you know, we do keep many of people have never uh, read this book or didn't read the hardcover. Maybe you can give the elevator pitch so people know exactly what the content of the book is. This is sure. when Broadway was black, currently available in uh, uh, paperback. But what is it really the story of? 
So when Broadway was Black is the story of Shuffle Along, which was the first all-Black musical to succeed. It's from 1921. It was um, what Langston Hughes credits with kickstarting the Harlem Renaissance. Josephine Baker's first professional stage credit um, introduced the song I'm Just Wild About Harry into the lexicon and completely changed Broadway forever. And yet, um, for as significant as this show was, it also, um, in some cases intentionally, and in some cases through faults of history, has sort of not been remembered um, mm -hmm. as well as shows like Showboat or Porgy and Bess or other moments of racial representation that we associate with that period. So the book really looks at the history of the making of the show, but also the history of the show and how we have sort of um, forgotten or misinterpreted that history over time. Fascinating. And now back to getting out there. We did talk about having um, a host interview you as a proxy for the audience, but I've also seen you do very well when it's just you and the audience. Uh, first of all, which do you prefer? And then second of all, when it's just you and the audience, how do you give them like the understanding you just gave us and get them to start asking questions? How do you go about, you know, again, uh, a lot of people who are wa watching this are hoping to be in your shoes someday with their own projects. So what insights can you give us? Well, for me, I think you have to, um, and again, I'm going to go back to, to what Alex was talking about before about being business minded. Um, I have uh, taken the path before it, with other projects, not this project, where I've really focused on, I've got to sell this book. And I've been kind of, kind of at least internally, nakedly explicit about this is a business X, Y, and Z. Um, this is the next book I'm going to write because I think there's an audience for it. And over time, I've really gotten much more into what excites me about mm -hmm. this story. And I have found that for myself and for the work, um, it is infinitely better to just chase what interests you and try and tell people, this is what interests me. And maybe they'll find it interesting. Maybe they won't, but you know, mm -hmm. you, not every book's for everyone. You know, if my book isn't for you, that's okay. I'm going to tell yeah. you about it. I'm going to tell you what's interesting, but I'm not going to try and, you know, sell you a book that you're not interested in. You know, that's, that's okay. Um, and you that have to is with that. You have to. That that is very um, noticeable in both your. Um, I don't want to say um, technique, but your presence and your presentation in public and Alex's. Both of you, um, whether it's at a convention table or at a you know Barnes and Noble or at a, a more uh, theatrical situation, um, you create a what I would call a welcoming space, and then see where it goes. And it's not something you're born with. <laughs> no, it's um. It's a it's a skill and it's a skill that believe me, I'm still 
I'm still working on. Um, and, and, you know, someone who's been really helpful with that, with me honing that skill has been, uh, my wife who sometimes is at the convention table with me and will tell me after the fact, like, oh, you came on too strong or will tell me, <laughs> or will tell me, uh, oh, I, uh, some, sometimes literally, I'm not kidding. Sometimes she'll, she'll almost kick me under the table and say like, they're, they're going to buy it. Just shut up. Like they're going to, you sold it already. And I'm still going. Yeah. Um, because I'm so concerned about like, I've got to, I've got to convert this, this into a sale. And sometimes, you know, honestly, I, I have no problem. I, I've learned to have no problem with telling someone, this is my book. This is what it is. And when they say, oh, okay, I go, great. Have a, have a wonderful day. Mm -hmm. You know, thanks. Enjoy, enjoy the rest I think, I think it's very much about being authentic. You know, that's that's really what it's been for me. Uh, a, I genuinely like people. I don't trust them, but I like them. So, that you know, you know, meeting people at a convention, just I am meeting you. You're having, you know, if they show an interest in the objects on the table, that's a cue. Yeah, I you know. Oh, yeah. Well, you can take a look at the book and blah, 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 blah. And they ask questions. I'm, I'm happy to dialogue with them. But as you said, at the end of the discussion, whether it's 30 seconds or 20 minutes, if they're not going to buy, hey, it's been nice talking to you, you know, and, and, and you know, have a great life, have a great day. But I think because when, and this is going back to something else that you said that I wanted to, to, to sort of touch base on. When you research a book or when you're meeting people at a convention or at a reading or whatever, and you're talking to them, one of the things that I, I, I'm sure you do, and I know that I do, is I genuinely listen to people. You know, genuinely listening. What are you saying? I want to make sure I'm getting it so that we can have this exchange or I can get this information that I need for X. And I think that's that's a factor that's really important because a lot of people, especially in a promotional uh, event, uh, they're they're cued to, okay, am I getting through this person? Am I going to get this sale? Okay, no, then I, there's somebody else, right? And so if you're always looking over the, the the shoulder of the person in front of you who's talking to you, if you're always looking past them for that next opportunity, you're you're doing a disservice to yourself and to them. And I think in that scenario, more contact, more genuine contact, more sales, whatever, are lost. So I think when you genuinely are open to communicating with people, uh, they get that. And they realize, oh, there's a there's a real conversation. This person's real. So now, well, maybe I am a little bit interested in their work, or you know, maybe what they said was really cool. And I'm I'm gonna go think about that. And I've had people go off and come back an hour or so later and go, you know, I was thinking about let, let me let me get your book, right? Because you were genuine with them. It wasn't the hard sell. And and I cynicism, you know. Yeah. You know, and I, <laughs> yeah. I think that's I think that's a part of it. And I think for what you have done with Pee Wee Herman, with uh, a Christmas story, with um um this Back book to the future. Back to the future, yeah. You've interviewed people and you've genuinely listened to them. You've genuinely heard them, and then you've taken that experience not only that information but that that sense of who they are and you've managed to communicate that into your work and that's i feel personally why when reading your work i feel like i'm having an experience because there is that kind of work in there 
Well, I, I appreciate that. And I, I, I want to say also, I, I've learned over time that um, you, the, di the different books have different audiences, you know, and I, I can tell um, when someone is looking at the Pee Wee's Playhouse book, for example, like that book's almost sold when someone looks at it, right. you know, because, because if you're someone who's walking around, like I put myself in the, if I'm a Pee Wee Herman fan and I'm walking around and I've never seen that book before and I stop and look at it, probably buying it, right. you know, um, Back to the Future maybe is a little bit of a harder sell because there's a larger there's so much memorabilia. You can get toys. You can get whatever. But like you know, it's it's a little bit of a niche thing. Um, it's it's interesting, and I and I'll, I'll be honest. Since we're talking about um, talking about promotion and and all this sort of thing, my biggest sort of fear with um, footnotes um, slash when Broadway was black was that it was so out of the oeuvre of the other things that I I write. I was going like, are people going to unfollow me on social media? You know, or did people say like, I didn't sign up for this? You know, now I'm going into something that seems like a different genre. And I just sort of had to, um, look, none of us, um, I, I'm going to, uh, Chris, I'm going to get this wrong a little bit, but I'm going to try and get this right. As, as our friend Omar Holman, um, so wonderfully titled, his his book of poetry we were all someone else yesterday right mm, yeah, um yeah, yeah. and so uh, you know i'm not the same person i was 12 13 years ago right. when i started the the public uh you know social media presence and i don't know the people who follow me i don't know who they are today versus who they were when they pressed you know the, the follow button or the like button or whatever um but this is sort of who I am today. And this is, right. you know, what I'm writing. And if you want to unsubscribe, that's certainly your right. And if um, you liked footnotes, but don't like the ET book that came out in between, in between the hardcover and the paperback, there was an ET book, right. which is a complete, you know, which is a different thing. So um, I, I just sort of, I, I can't think about that too much because then I, I feel like then I start to go back to, Hmm, my next book has to be something that's going to appeal to when, that. When ET was black, yeah, I yeah, think that, he, would, <laughs> that would be that's your next book, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I just have to Young try. Brother and, comes and to, be, the, to Earth to the Hood, right? <laughs> I have to try well, to be honest about it. That's all, and and I it's um it's hard to do, and it's also hard to do to be honest with you when you've got um other you know you've got editor and agent, you've got other people that are sort of you know, entangled in, in my, my writing um, career, sort of, you know, getting to say like, I think this has viability. I think this doesn't, right. um, but that, that's certainly another factor, but at the end of the day, you kind of just have to cut through that to the best of your ability. I know Chris has a question, so I'm going to, I actually have two more, but uh, okay, one's for I've, both I've got one, one that, yeah, but okay. go ahead, Alex. Well, <clears throat> There's an M word that I'm curious about here because we we've talked about and since you've come to this point where you're saying like right, yeah you've grown, you're you know you're not who you were 12 years ago 13 years ago who is, so you've grown you've expanded your your life your responsibilities your view of things and your craft and your work, what's what motivates you? Ooh, what motivates me is um, 
I love, I just love telling stories. I do. You know, I, um, Chris probably knows this because he's known me a really long time, but I've, I've learned that I have a really horrible, like, um, I don't know if it's like a, a tick or like a crutch, maybe almost where like, I, I often will speak in, in anecdotes and analogy, you know, there's always this, like, I've got this, you know, this story that this reminds me of for my past life or this thing I watched on TV or whatever. Um, I, I just love sharing um, experiences, whether they're my experiences, whether they're someone else's experiences. Um, and I particularly love doing it in books because books have a certain um, immortality to them that I don't know if newspaper articles have. Certainly, I don't think that um, online media has, you know, in terms of, I mean, I've, I've spent months writing an article for, you know, outlets and it comes out it's posted it, it circulates around people comment on it for two days and then you know you go to look for it again it's buried under two dozen other things that have been published and it, it yeah it exists forever but I mean the discourse has passed everyone's on to the next thing at, at the top of their feed you know and I not to say that's not rewarding but I like creating things that I think have a little bit more that I hope will have a little bit more longevity to them. And so um, that's, that's what motivates me. And I think also documenting um, things that a little bit of like unsung heroes, you know, I think. Um, and even with something as, as big as like back to the future, for example, or ET, um, there are always people that I speak to that are the the camera people. You know, these are not the people that are doing press junkets. These are not the people that are sitting down with Jimmy Fallon. You know, these are like these, but they've got stories to tell too. Mm -hmm. And their stories um, and decisions create, you know, contributed to these, these works of art that we love. And so um, I, I do sort of see myself on being a, a bit of a mission of sorts, um, lowercase m mission to, to do that as well. Okay. Chris? Well, and and I would just say that uh, those of you who may not have read any of Cassine's books, uh, but enjoy listening to him speak, that's what his books sound like. It's about, it sounds kind of, in all the books, it sounds like sitting across um, a table at a nice restaurant, enjoying a meal and hearing this great story. And that's one of the things that I think is a great appeal to uh, your writing. Uh, but I do want to take you back out into the fields mm. for two more questions. This one is for both of you because I've seen you both do it. Uh oh, um, you're witnesses at, at uh, conventions or those kind of book selling events or 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 fan events. You know, we all know the killer posture where the people behind the table are sitting slumped. They look pissed or sad, or they're staring at their phone, and the the message screams, "Don't come near us!" Right? You two tend to be the opposite of that. <laughs> so, for the emerging creative who wants to be out there in that field, in that convention, what advice do you give as far as how to conduct yourself? Sit, stand. Was there a posture? 
what do you think is uh are some best practices how do you like that because he <laughs> Hire us to sit I at don't. the tables. <laughs> what are some best practices behind the table there? Um, I I will I will tell a story. I won't mention the name, but they wouldn't mind me telling the story anyway. But um I Chris, we did a an event um many years ago with uh, a friend and colleague of ours who um it was actually their first event their first sort of book selling event like this. And they were going around to other tables and doing a lot of like looking and a lot of, I, I would say spectating, I would say spectating. And, you know, after the event, um, I said, you know, you look, it's totally fine. Like if you want to go and be a participant, you know, be a participant, that's fine. But I think in those settings, you kind of have to choose whether you want to buy your ticket and be a spectator or whether you want to be the person behind the table because and it's not just about you know a financial thing it's also someone's going to your table to learn about you or and or your work and what they don't want to hear is they'll be right back right you know like 20 times um you know, you've, you've got to show up for your own work. You know, if you want other people to show up for your work, you've got to be there for your work. And so, um, believe me, I, I don't, you know, my feet get tired, I, you know, but, um, I, well, I you try tend and, to stand, right? Yeah. I try and stay standing. Um, I definitely try and remain, you know, I'm, I'm usually with someone. Um, but I, even if we're talking, I, I, we try and, you know, cheat out, as you'd say in the theater, you know, you try and, you know, face out and, and talk, you know, openly. Um, obviously... I have been your wingman occasionally <laughs> standing next to you, kind of talking out of the side yeah. of our mouths. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, and it's good. And, and actually the, the wingman point is a great point because it's good to have help if you can have help because, um, and I think Alex said this a little bit before, you know, you don't want to, when you're talking with someone, you you, you want to talk with them. And I will tell you, and Chris, you've done this and my wife has done this and you know other people that have helped me out when you're, when I, if I'm talking to Alex, you know, and someone else is coming up, sometimes the, the wingman quote unquote is saying like, oh, you know, feel free to thumb through anything on the table, you know, take a look, you know, maybe they're talking about, because you don't want to, you don't want to lose the person who's stepping up, but you also don't want right. to jump behind them. You don't always have that other person, but I think the the point is you have to be um, engaged, but also, and I, I've seen this on the, the other side too, is I've been on this other side. I think being too eager is a, is a turnoff as well. You know, you have to give people, sometimes people just want to look, that's okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, um, mm -hmm. and that, that has been, that's something that I've definitely had to learn. You know, some, you know, you, I, I normally, my trick of the trade, is I normally will invite someone to pick up a book. You know, if someone's looking, I'll just say, you know, if you want to thumb through anything on the table, you know, feel free. And I, I think if they picked it up, you're 50% of the way there. <laughs> um, that's that's my own personal philosophy. It's not it's not poll tested. It's not scientific, but that's just my own <laughs> personal philosophy on it. But you know, Alex. Yeah, yes, yes. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Cameron. Uh, 
the um no i mean i mean i'm with you uh um uh, what's your Kasim. name yeah kasim yeah i'm with you kasim yeah it is it is very much a dance um i think that a you go there understanding that that's what you're going there to do that you're going to be making an appearance you know whether you're comfortable selling or not that's that's a thing you have to sort of deal with and yes if you can have someone there who's more comfortable with that then you can just be there to talk to people and be and ask answer questions and things like that and someone else can do the selling but if that's not the case then yeah you know you're going there to be there to be available and you don't have to hard sell some people do feel that need but i think again it's like you're saying if somebody's interested in the book like i tend to say you know you can you can pick it up you can leave fingerprints on it it's okay right you know and i try and make it a welcoming experience, you know, feel free to, it's easy. It's nothing intense because it's not, as you were also saying, Kasim, it's not something where you want them to feel like I'm coming after you for the, for your money. You know, you don't want to do that. Um, at least that's not my nature. And I, and I'm from what I'm hearing, it's not yours. I think that also I've been in a circumstance where I've seen people go to the convention under the umbrella of doing the work there and instead, they're going around and getting autographs and checking out other people's tables and everything and missing the opportunity to interact with what could be or is their fan base or an interest base. And I think that's when people have to make certain decisions. If you're going to be a writer or an artist and you're going to create material and you really just can't interact with the audience and you have to again seeing this as a business get somebody at your table who can so that that's covered then if you want to go and flitter around or go around and and schmooze and say oh yeah well my table's over there i got somebody with my books you can do that i don't happen to feel that's the best way to do it but it's certainly better than either not being at the table constantly or the other one, which Chris brought up, is sitting there looking like, why the hell am I here? Uh, nobody yeah. wants my stuff. You know, that's don't come in. Right? That's that's even worse because now not only have you not sold the material, you've given a number of people the impression that you and your work are not worth their time. Yep. So you've actually now spent hours and money to turn people off, which does not serve you in any way, shape or form. So it's better to have someone at the table who's open and, and you know easygoing or gregarious or a good salesperson to handle that stuff if you're uncomfortable with it. And then you can be there to politely or nicely answer questions, maybe shake hands, autograph the book, that sort of thing. Um, it's a business. Again, yeah. this is a business, and we have to remember that. Uh, let's wanna, sorry. Oh, sorry, Chris. I just want to point out one more thing, too. And this, I've... I, I don't know what actually maybe this is a question for the both of you actually if I can if I can be so bold but well, I, it is your show. Yeah. <laughs> I was it's funny cuz I know that you know having an an, ele- an elevator pitch is important um and I and I think I have one for each of the the books but I was at an event um a bit ago and the person at the table next to me I could just hear that it was like almost like a robotic it wasn't a bad pitch, but it was the exact like you could probably you could set your watch to it. It was, you know, maybe 20 seconds, word for word, verbatim, the same way. And I I just sort of felt like 
not every person who's coming up to your table is the same. And I don't know if, you know, um, yes, you, there is, there is a benefit on one hand to having 20 seconds tight going, but as the person at the table next to them, I was going, it, it sounds too rote. You know, I think to the everyday person who's hearing you just almost recite as opposed to actually talking about your book. And I'm I'm curious about um how you both feel about the uh the elevator pitch in in that in a format like that where it's a convention or like a where I'll I'll say where you're quote unquote competing with other um people in the same event space. Right. Okay, I'll um, let you go, Chris, first. Well, yeah. Weirdly, I learned this from Arnold Schwarzenegger on TV. I never met the guy but um that's what you say now it's true um he used to say that you know when you're going on these promotional things you have three things prepared and you know whatever's going on you work those three things into the conversation and i always thought he was really i mean you could see them coming a mile away with arnold but that was part of his charm right i try to be more casual about it um, I do prepare elevator pitches for each one of them, but I know I, I try to have three things to say about them. And then if I get so lucky, doesn't always happen, but if I get so lucky as someone's coming up and you can see they're interested, I'll try and talk, lead with the one that I think is most likely um what they're interested in you know if they come and start talking about you know uh, uh, does this have action well then you lean on that and all that stuff occasionally there's a misread you know um i was selling a, a simple rebellion in uh i guess it was phil Kahn and uh a uh, young woman was there um and i because we were in, in such a divided, politically divided atmosphere, which we're still in, um, I kind of soft pedaled that. And I talked about the other elements of it, of that. But when I got to it, because you had to mention it because it was core, that's what she lit up about. And that was the sale. Um, that did not mean the next seven people who came, I led with that. It was just, oh, okay, that's what worked for that person. And you have, you know, you go back and just, oh, just do the best you can. Um, the tr I mean, the biggest trick for me is not forcing the conversation, not being the eager person who turns off the date, you know. Um, but trying to be organic it's clear to everybody why you're there. You're not waiting for a bus, so you don't have to <laughs> pretend, right? But you're also not a carnival barker. So you have to find, you know, again, what is organically right for you? It may not be comfortable, but it'll get there. Um, I would I would agree with you, know? you on that too, Chris. And I would also say that, um, again, with the, the three... You know, it's it's good to have an elevator pitch. It's good to have uh, variations on it right. so that you can sort of accommodate personalities. All right. 
but and I also think it saves you. And and you know, again, remember we're talking about different people. We're talking about creatives who are now who now have to step into the vendor mode. And that's right. not necessarily what every one of us wants to do or we're good at. So it saves you stammering and, and blundering through trying to describe such and such. If you have a couple of sentences that hit the mark and pretty much clearly define what your, your book is about, that helps because it gets that information right out there. And that saves you that confusion time. But I do think that going back to your comment, um, uh, Kasim, the firing it out as if you are an automaton or something like that does turn people off because they hear that they hear that you're in automated mode and they're 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 actually there to meet somebody you know it, whether it's a vendor or salesperson or the artist they're they're looking at a human being they're not pressing a button on a piece of machinery right. so they do want some sort of human connection there and I, you know, I don't know why this other person was in that mode the way you heard it, but I would say, yeah, they should variate uh, right. for their audience. And I would also say to remind you, you had to sit next to them and hear the same thing over and over and over again. That might be a little bit like an earwig, right. you know, for you also, or anybody sitting there. Yeah, that person may be at that stage where that person had learned you need an elevator pitch, but hadn't learned. All right, what do you do beyond that? Yeah. It's it's weird how uneven our education can be. And I have a question for Kasim, but I want to mention one thing based on a word Alec just said. Vendor, right? Ladies and gentlemen, if you're selling books, you're a vendor. I say this because I'm going to admit something really embarrassing. I recently missed out on an opportunity to sell at an upcoming con because they were selling vendor tables and I was waiting for them to sell author tables. There you go. It's the same thing, ladies and gentlemen, you're a vendor. If you're selling, you're a vendor. I know that's 1% of the audience will be like, Oh, I didn't know that, but Hey, I saved you from being embarrassed like me. And missing out All on right. opportunities. Yeah. Final question for Kasim Gaines. Um, what I, one of the things I love, uh, about watching you is that you do always grow and try new things again organically based on the content of the book you know there was Pee Wee Herman st style stuff when you were doing that there was um, uh, Back to the Future memorabilia when you were doing that Christmas Story when you were doing that uh, E.T. on it goes for this one uh, when Broadway was black, doesn't come with a lot of memorabilia or, or you know, tchotchkes and stuff. And I was so thrilled when I watched you resolve that challenge in such an interesting way. I want to stress interesting. If I hadn't bought the book, I, I would have wanted to buy the book again every time you did this. And 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 I know you're going to say, well, it wasn't my idea, but just the whole idea of it. I thought he was going to say, why didn't you just keep buying the book? Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know why? Because I keep missing his events and I want to buy them <laughs> from him. So um, I want you to elaborate on it. But you went, you know, your your book, When Broadway Was Black, takes place mostly in and around Manhattan. 
and you went to the actual locations where parts of the book happened. Can you talk about that and how something like that works? Yeah, that was um, an idea that someone at my publisher had. I'm not even sure exactly who, but it was sort of like floated to me. Like, you know, would you be up for this? And I'm, you know, I'm I'm up for, for anything. Um, and so I know Alex is too. I remember about the burlesque days that was yes. yeah, and the fishnet stockings. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but it sold books. <laughs> and that's all that matters. That's all that matters, yeah. Um when burlesque was blocked. That's my new my new <laughs> one that I'm Sorry, the Alex Simmons story. <laughs> but um, but so yeah, they they wanted me to do like a, a walking tour of you know a couple of locations from the book. And and I will say it was actually really kind of um, exciting for me to do too, because when you're standing in certain spaces that, you know, it, and especially in Harlem is a great example because Harlem, there are portions of Harlem that look more or less like they looked a hundred something years ago when I was writing about them. Um, I stood right outside the brownstone that UB Blake owned and lived in um, and shot a video right there at the exact wow. location, um, which was which was fascinating. Um, I went to a location that was, it's now a, a deli, but it was the first um, like up all night, like jazz night spot um, in the city. And what was great was I was able to pull up you know, the, the image in some cases, in some of the videos, pull up the image from the 1920s and show the location today and say like, I look at where I'm standing and you can see the, the passage right. of time um, in real time and give, you know, in a minute, minute and a half, give a little bit of history about the location and a little bit of a, a pitch for the book. But, um, but it's, it, it is cool. And I think, you know, to, I guess the, the sort of root of your question is, you you do have to find different entry points for people. Um, I I spoke with actually in the um, in June. I'm doing like a, a three or maybe four um, part lecture series through Lincoln Center, and it's and they but they wanted me specifically to talk about um, how Black Broadway impacted jazz. And vice versa. Now, the the book is not really. I mean, it's not a music centric book. I'm not a musician. I'm not a music historian. But, but you played but, one on television, right? But I played one. You played uh, one on stage several yeah, times. Yeah. <laughs> that's true too. <laughs> With a Beatles wig. But we'll leave uh, that for another interview. That's a different different interview. Um, but I, you know, for that audience, you know, that's that's an entry point into the into the book and into the story and so I'll do my homework and and come in prepared to talk about that for some people Josephine Baker is the entry point for some people it's Broadway that's the entry point you know you talked about the two buzzwords for some people they look at the book because Broadway is big on the title right. period for some people they look at the book because black is on the title is in the title nice and large in the book period um and so you kind of have to meet people. Someone said this before, meet people where they are. Um, and for me, those videos were kind of an exciting way to bring this story set 
over a hundred years ago into the the literal present mm. of today. Um, and so that was that was a cool idea that they had. And um, yeah, I I I think you always want to you know the the answer is sort of like well why why should i pick up this book why like why is this interesting why is this important and i think those that series of videos help to sort of um hopefully provide a little bit of relevancy um to anyone who maybe is like i'm i'm not particularly interested in the story from 100 years ago or i don't know anything about it but it was an opportunity to get me to kind of talk about it a little bit entrance points were exactly what those were and i'll tell you um Yubi Blake was an exciting name for me when I heard that that gentleman was going to be in the book. But for me, the entrance point, the selling point, was the name Kasim Gaines. And it always is. And it's always a great time to interview him. I'm going to turn you over to Alex. I don't know whether he's going to say goodbye or take you on the time machine. You never know what Alex Simmons. Strap in, bro. It could I'm get gonna, dangerous I'm gonna from do, here. I'm going to do two things. I'm going to, A, uh, say... Absolutely. It's, it's always a joy. So much fun to have you on the show. And and I I really, I was going to ask you at one point, what's your plans going into the future? But the hell with it. We'll just keep having you come back and you can tell us what you've been doing. So that's that's one right there. The other one is because uh, Chris had brought up, you know, you showing up at these different locations and you were talking about the sort of being able to show the past and the present and, and tying that together. Uh, very quickly, I find that a lot of people do get a kick out of that sort of thing and and age range has nothing to do with it because literally there's a curiosity about what was what what once was try saying that six times fast what mm -hmm. once was and what is now and i think that it's it's a great uh way of helping people understand that there was something before there was this time period when these people were alive and they were real and these things were happening. And here's where we are now. And, and one can look at in a minute and a half what you have to say, but also when they pick up the book or pick up books along these lines, they're looking at history. They're looking at both social and creative history and looking at how we as human beings have rose or fallen uh, depending on the the moment in time and depending on the event and depending on the people involved and i think it's never wrong to to help folks take a look back and appreciate certain things uh maybe get a little heated about certain things to then look at where we are now and be able to see what's been accomplished first and then see where we can go from there because I think it's really key when you did this book, uh, I had not, I had not heard about Shuffle Along, and I, you know, as, as Chris is always pointing out, my time machine thing, I I keep going back. I mentioned Oscar Majot a little while ago, you know, and, and he, you. he did that. Yeah, Gesundheit. Uh, he did as a black filmmaker in the 1920s. He was not only doing films with all black cast. But he did two films that were interracial. I don't mean the relationships are necessarily interracial, although there was one that had that storyline. But he did a film with black and white actors, which was a kind of thing that could get you lynched in certain parts of the country at that time period. So to say that nothing has changed now, wrong, <laughs> so wrong. And to see that there was a pioneer time 
people had to make certain adjustments and, and arrangements and allowances, but they still accomplished something masterful. And then to look at where we are now helps us then to project forward. And I think that you've really added a, a major cornerstone to that process for us to utilize. And I just want to say, um, I wasn't your teacher in high school, but I'm proud to know you. And I'm glad that you and Chris did meet uh, so that I get to know you now and to really applaud your work and to just say, keep on going, bro. I'll keep reading and watching. I appreciate you. I, you know, I wanted to, I don't, I don't want to derail the wrap up, but something that you just said reminds me of, I think a really um, key thing, especially for writers um, that, that are listening. It, it's interesting about um, timing and framing. Um, because, you know, we talked about the retitling of this book, but there's a, probably a, a key component that I, um, I mean, every, everything I said was more the, I guess the, the, the business aspect of it, but there was also another kind of, I guess, creative aspect, which was when this book came out, or actually when this book went to print, which is probably a more significant point because you, that's really when the, the final decisions are made in hardcover, um, it was in the aftermath of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, you know, it was in, you know, early 2021. So it was all very fresh and raw. Um, a lot of the conversations that I had about the book, um, probably even on this podcast um, at the time, were really about the historical injustice of this show and these artists being forgotten. And the title itself suggested that as well. Um, and I remember it ended up being kind of prophetic at the time, or, or in, in hindsight, I mean, but I remember someone when I was doing some virtual event, I think with librarians or something like that, um, someone said, you know, this book is really great because people are really interested in reading about America's history with race relations, but people don't, not everyone's going to read a history on Selma. Not everyone's going to read a history on Tulsa. Not everyone wants to read uh, White Fragility. Not everyone wants to read, you know, there are people that that want to read and learn and expand their worldview, but they don't want to read a, a how-to book. They don't want to read something that's going to be uh, uh, depressing they're they're happy to read something about triumph and success and an accomplishment, you know, more of a hidden figures than uh, you know, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. between the world and me, you know, <laughs> and and I don't know if footnotes in that iteration again, same book, right? But I don't know if footnotes presented that way to the everyday person. However. What I love about this new title, and, and it speaks to, I think, now being a couple of years removed from really being in the, the tempest of that moment, is that it's just a little bit of a frame, a reframing about of not these people accomplished something great and then history passed them by, but these people accomplished something great and let's look at what they accomplished. Mm. It's not their footnotes. It's the focus is on this period of time when they were succeeding right. just in the title itself. And um, 
I I think that that matters quite significantly. I think that um, I don't even know if people are cognizant of just the distinction, but I think that when you pick up the book now in paperback, something, you know, if you are so inclined, I think something about it makes you feel good, hopefully about it when you pick it up, as opposed to the book itself almost being an indictment um, right. of our culture. You know, and I think I, anyway, that's that's well, I I hadn't noticed it until you were talking about it now, but it is a more positive, hopeful uh, uh, title when Broadway was black and it can be black again or it can be, you know, integrated, whatever you want, whatever you're comfortable with footnotes. We all know footnotes. They're at the bottom of the page. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? They're they're the note of what explaining what happened then. So yeah, I hadn't noticed that until now, but it is a more open-ended title. And that's a um an interesting point for all of us to consider. You know, titles and yeah. material, you know, mm -hmm. word word choices matter. That's yes. that's that's really the bottom line of that. And on that bottom line, I will say again, Cassine so glad to have you here yes you will be back you have no choice chris <laughs> you know. uh, i would just like to thank uh cassine for having us on his podcast <laughs> yeah uh, that was really nice of no i think we should thank him we should thank him we should thank him for letting us sit in and and host his show for all the episodes he's not here well, that's really nice 51 times this, I mean, this my guy goodness. you know yeah. he lets the lets the bench get up there once in a while yeah 251 cool. times i'm gonna have to start paying you guys at some point my goodness yeah, yeah, yeah well yeah <laughs> the check is in the mail yeah There's right concept <laughs> seem great you will be back um much good fortune and don't think i didn't uh i didn't lock in on that lincoln center reference we will talk about that when we get a little closer to it as well uh, Chris, again, always good, always happy, always fun, always interesting. It's always something. <laughs> always an honor to be in your presence, sir. Ah, uh, shucks, fella. Everybody, thank you for being here and uh, continue to tell, tell the damn, damn story. story.